The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Oh, well, welcome, everyone. In that meditation, <clears throat> I just want to do a sound check. Can you hear me all right? Okay, good. Thank you. If I get too quiet, let me know. But um, in that meditation, uh, this receptive awareness of receiving, recognizing whatever comes into awareness and allowing it to be, um, everything is included. You know, no, there's no right or wrong meditation there. And so what is everything? <laughs> I, I found this, uh, brief quote from Sayadaw Utejaniya that I wanted to share about that. He writes, yogis come to me and say, you are always telling us, watch the mind, watch the mind, but I can't see the mind. They don't see it because they're looking for something special. The work is simply to be aware of what is being perceived at each one of the sense doors, seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, smelling, thinking. In this moment, that is all. So, as he's writing, and we're doing this practice of relaxing, receiving what comes into awareness, whatever's most obvious, allowing it, sensing, feeling, knowing any state of mind, heart, and body that's present or arises or passes through, nothing left out, it's, it's very um, interesting. When we begin a meditation practice, very often we are focused on the body and, and breathing and sensations in the body. And often that's both because we're trained that way to begin, um, but also because when the body's not accustomed to sitting practice, um, it can experience painful feelings or pleasant feelings that we we've never known before. So sitting there and just paying attention, it can get quite intense. And the body definitely takes its time in the course of our practice to be noticed and to be experienced as it really is. And of course, as it changes from moment to moment and session to session. You know, at other times, emotions and moods might be center stage. Experiences in our everyday life can be so compelling or our preoccupation with them can follow us right onto the cushion. And sometimes uh, we may have pushed them aside when we finally sit in silence. Uh, it, maybe we push a, pushed them aside during the day and when we finally sit in silence, they seem to assert themselves as if needing our acknowledgement and support and continuing to knock on the door until we pay attention and they feel seen and heard. And then, of course, the mind can be prone to thinking. Um, simple thoughts or rumination with events of one's day uh, or life 
or, you know, period of time. Or we can uh, get into fantasizing images, music, forms of self-entertainment. So, so many things keep capturing the attention and can drag the mind off away from the meditation, away from awareness of what's happening. There's, there's such a close relationship sometimes, too, between thoughts that keep arising and strong emotions that need to be seen. Uh, so what is present as we meditate could be all of the above and more. It can be unpleasant. We might wish it weren't happening. We might have an idea that to be a good meditator, we need to get rid of states of body, heart, and mind that don't fit our ideas about meditation. And we may feel an urgency. Okay, you know, I just got to get down to the real meditation here. I got to clear off all this stuff. And now I'm really sitting. But instead of trying to make meditation be certain experiences, it's far more helpful to practice a kind of radical acceptance in meditation, knowing that whatever is coming to awareness, this is what is here right now. We don't need to push what we notice in meditation aside, ignore it, nor do we need to focus really hard on what I should be experiencing. Whatever we're aware of, whatever's received in experience, as a sitting meditation goes on, needs to be seen. It needs to be fully experienced. The mind's presenting it to us. And if it isn't seen, often the same experience will just keep popping into awareness, whether it's in that sit or in life or in more sittings, just waiting to be acknowledged. So this means something really important. There is no need to reject parts of ourselves or our meditation experience as unacceptable. I'm, I'm going to say that again because it really is important. There's no need to reject parts of ourselves or our meditation experience as unacceptable. When Sayadaw Tejaniya advises us to simply be aware of what's perceived at the sense doors of seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, smelling, thinking in this moment, he's pointing us towards the initial sensory input before the mind takes off with it. And that deserves a whole separate Dharma talk. <laughs> but before thinking makes it into an object of clinging, which we've we're talking about the last time I was with you, or something that we want to reject. Uh, so that's a very interesting piece of advice, but there's more to this, um, to what he advises that I'll touch on a bit later. First, though, I'd like to mention some helpful thoughts about these experiences that just come to us during meditation Um that, you know, if we tend to reject parts of ourselves or our meditation, that we might be inclined to try and push aside. So there's a form of therapy in which I was trained and practiced before I retired that's called dialectical behavioral therapy. And its founder, Marsha Linehan, 
practices Zen meditation. So she brought in many principles of mindfulness as she formulated skills and therapies for people to learn and um, go through. And in particular, a set of skills she teaches to help people tolerate distress or the unpleasant is one that she calls radical acceptance. And I, I thought I'd read these 10 ideas to you because I think they're very interesting for meditation. One, observe that you're questioning or fighting reality. Like, it shouldn't be this way. Two, remind yourself that the unpleasant reality is just as it is and cannot be changed. This is what happened. Three, remind yourself that there are causes for the reality. This is how things happened. Four, practice accepting with your whole self, mind, body, spirit. Use accepting self-talk, relaxation techniques, mindfulness, and or imagery. Five, list all of the behaviors you would engage in if you did accept the facts, and then engage in those behaviors as if you already accepted the facts. Six, imagine in your mind's eye believing what you do not want to accept and rehearse in your mind what you would do if you accepted what seems unacceptable. Seven, attend to bodily sensations as you think about what you need to accept. Eight, allow disappointment, sadness, or grief to arise within you. Nine, acknowledge that life can be worth living even when there is pain. And 10, do pros and cons, you know, practice of looking at the pros and cons, if you find yourself resisting practicing acceptance. Another website I was looking at today called uh, Very Well Mind has this to say, radical acceptance can be defined as the ability to accept situations that are outside of your control without judging them, which in turn reduces the suffering that is caused by them. So in this direct experience that we practiced in Buddhist meditation in, in our sittings, once we're aware of something as we're sitting in meditation or in daily life, once we're aware of it, it's already happened. It's the result of prior causes and conditions. And in that sense, it is not under our control in this moment. In the, it's already happened. It's already arisen in awareness. And this is true whether it's a state of the body, the emotions, or the mind. The mind's recognition is just a hair's breadth behind or concurrent with what is already happening. So we don't need to add reactivity and struggle with it. It is already here. And we don't need to judge it. It's simply the natural consequence of prior conditions. And prior conditions are not always, or very often, are not all in our control. There are conditions around us, conditions with other people, conditions within. All kinds of conditions create what has arisen. The Buddhist teacher Tara Brock uh, wrote a book entitled Radical Acceptance that some of you may be aware of. And she notes, 
the two parts of genuine acceptance, seeing clearly and holding our experience with compassion, are as interdependent as the two wings of a great bird. Together, they enable us to fly and be free. So wisdom and compassion are considered in this practice to be two wings of liberation that are developed as we move towards freedom from suffering. And Tara's drawing a connection that I see between clearly seeing our experience and that's development of wisdom as we see it and work with it over time. And then, of course, this idea of compassion that comes with acceptance. So other words for radical acceptance could be letting go into freedom or letting go of clinging. I mentioned earlier that uh, Sayada Utejaniya has more to say beyond noticing what is perceived at those sense doors that he mentioned. So I'm going to paraphrase his writing slightly um, as this. Mindfulness meditation is more than just observing things with a receptive mind. You have to use both knowledge and intelligence to bring your practice to life. And he points out the main tools you need to be intelligently aware are, one, the right information and a clear understanding of the practice. So that comes from reading relevant texts or Dharma discussions like the one we'll have after this talk. Two, the right motivation or interest based on clearly knowing why you're practicing here and now. And three, the right thinking, reflection, or inquiry. If faced with a situation, ask, what is my attitude? Or which defilement am I dealing with? Uh, Recognize mistakes, accept, acknowledge, and try to learn from them. So in line with these three things, of course, the first one, you're always invited to ask questions and make sure of your understanding of the information offered in any of IMC's meditation sessions and in the Q&A session that we have after the reflections. Two, it is really important to review from time to time what's motivating you to do this practice now because it changes. And, you know, what are your current interests now? Those shift, too, as you unfold in the practice. What you're interested in can change. So it's good to periodically reflect on that. And then his third point deserves some more elaboration about the importance of thinking, reflection, or inquiry. Um, And that's not really necessarily while we're meditating. It's something we can devote time to. After meditating, as we go through daily life, here he's kind of inviting us to notice how we're relating to what's arising in experience. So this question, what is my attitude, is not simply the sensory, you know, thinking, seeing, touching, feeling um, stuff that's coming up. It's like, okay, that's coming up, and then what? what is my relationship with it? Am I liking it, wanting more? Am I disliking it, trying to get rid of it? Am I confused by it? And then his second question, sort of having to do with this radical acceptance, knowing this is how things have come to be 
right in this moment. Um, by the way, that is not an invitation to try and get rid of any attitude that's arisen. It's just important to notice if we're wanting more or wanting to get rid of what's arising. That's where our noticing needs to be if that's happening. And if radical acceptance is not here, notice what is here. Eventually, as we notice what is here and reflect on whether it brings us more suffering or more peace, the experience naturally starts to shift towards a kind of acceptance of what is here, and then it changes. So I I was reading in uh, uh, Tara Brock's book a brief quote by um, Carl Rogers that was something like, uh, ironically or uh, interestingly, the more I accept how things are, the more I can change. So um, Sayadaw Utejani's question, which defilement am I dealing with? is one of the helpful ways to reflect on experiences that arise in meditation and daily life. If we notice we're clinging or we simply don't feel right about an experience, um, another name for defilements is the hindrances. And maybe you're familiar with them, but there are five categories that we might notice that arise in meditation. Uh, sensual desire is one. Aversion is another. A third category is sloth and torpor. A fourth is restlessness and remorse. And the fifth is doubt. So we talked a little bit about sensual desire the last time I was here as one of the four main kinds of clinging we need to overcome in order to be free of suffering. And it's a form of greed. So we can get dependent upon or addicted to having pleasant experiences like food, alcohol, for some people, recreational drugs, sex, entertainment, comfort, anything that we think we have to have in order to be happy that's external like that um, or a sense pleasure like that. We can get hooked on always wanting pleasant bodily feelings, emotions, fantasies, and thoughts. We can even get hooked on a certain pleasure or control in planning. A lot of people report that when they're meditating, planning comes up a lot for them. Um, Aversion or ill will uh, refers to our tendency to not want what we don't like. So we can have unpleasant reactivity towards events, people, situations, things, and it can show up in the form of bodily feelings like tightness, contraction, resistance, agitation, or it can come up in emotions that range from subtle, like just a little displeased or jittery, to strong feelings like despair, hatred, rage, terror. Um, And aversion can also show itself in thinking. I don't like this. I don't want this. This isn't how things should be. Judgmental thoughts, shoulds and shouldn'ts. The final three categories of hindrance are actually forms of delusion. So sloth and torpor refers to a bodily and mental sluggishness, either or both, that can arise during meditation. It's not a lack of sleep. That's different. But more from the mind and body getting dull and not remaining clearly mindful. Uh, The fourth category of restlessness and remorse 
refers to states of thinking we can get into that keep us from being mindful with right here and now, meditating with what's here and now, because we get caught in rumination and unpleasant emotions and thoughts about past events or anticipated future events. So we're not aware uh, when that happens of what's happening right here and now. We're kind of caught. And the final category of doubt can refer to self-doubt in our ability to do the practice or doubt in the teachings. And it's not the same thing as having a simple question or having questions that you can find answers for from texts and teachings. This kind of doubt, I think, is more a persistent state of not feeling able to learn or understand the teachings or not uh, kind of settling into exploring one's own experience to discover what the teachings might mean or not being able to learn from what's happening. And, you know, any of these things are really natural human uh, states of mind and heart and body that come up. So again, we can radically accept these. They're simply useful in terms of noticing, you know, another way to notice what is it that's coming up right now. And as you hear them, you might remember experiences you've had in meditation that had these flavors of sense, desire, or aversion, or doubt, or sluggishness, or um, restlessness. Um, If you can notice their presence when you meditate, you're already taking a step towards freedom. Um, You're already accepting what's here and now. Ironically, this practice gives us this opportunity to get to know these really well. In fact, we actually have to see and experience them thoroughly enough to see the way that they cause clinging and delusion and for us to be able to break through illusions that we have that we're going to be able to control reality or meditation (laughs) to be exactly what we want and not what we don't want. And being caught in the delusions that confuse us about what's really happening. So it can be really freeing to come back to this. Everything is included in meditation and that there is no need to reject parts of ourselves or our meditation experience as unacceptable. I think it's really freeing to see what's actually happening in our sittings and our daily lives. And by showing up and really being with those uh, that act of uh, experiencing it and acknowledging it is a step or actually several steps in the direction of freedom from suffering. It's different than being caught in it. And so uh, w- those are some reflections I thought I'd share about everything being included and accepting everything that arises. And I look forward to your thoughts, your questions experiences, whatever is up for you about this. And feel free to raise your hand and unmute uh, when you're ready. And I'm going to stop recording, so...